You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. Our guest on Golf Yeah today is Gianna Rojas. Born without fingers on her left hand, Gianna is known worldwide as the one-handed lady golfer, and she has dedicated much of her life to bringing attention to golfing success stories that involve people with physical, cognitive, sensory, health, and age-related challenges. Gianna is recognized as one of the leading and most influential voices in a growing movement that's called Adaptive Golf, which is working to promote accessibility to the game of golf for everyone. Gianna was recently named to the by the LPGA as one of the top 22 women disruptors in the golf industry. And as you might think that she has a body double, because Gianna is everywhere, including the Golf Channel, local and national news, and as guest speaker at a broad range of industry and corporate events, including the PGA Merchandise Show and the Abilities Expo. Gianna is an active member of organizations too numerous to mention, where she collaborates and sits on several committees. In addition to all of her advocacy work, Gianna is a bona fide golfer. She walks the talk as an adaptive athlete. For example, she's a member of the U.S. Disabled Golf Team and is a two-time division winner in the Adaptive and Paralong Drive competition. I have a very selfish reason for asking Gianna to be a guest on Golf Yeah. This is a podcast for people who aspire to build a business or career related to their love for the game of golf. Gianna certainly has achieved that goal through her Adaptive Golfers organization, but here's what's even more valuable than her success story, which you'll hear. Gianna will also address what it takes to overcome the obstacles in your head and in your heart that keep you from reaching your full potential. So regardless of whether your life goals involve a golf career or simply being a happier person, I think you'll find Gianna's spirit and determination to be contagious. So Gianna, welcome to Golf Yeah. Thank you so very much. It's an honor to be here. And I love the introduction. I might have to coin that. I might have to borrow that. (laughs) I have a tendency to kind of go on because there's so many things that are happening, not just in my life, but in the world of adaptive golf. There seems to be a new, fresh momentum. And it's hopefully one that will carry through so that all people can play golf next to each other, inclusively, all together. We're all golfers first. We just happen to have unique, special needs. Well, you know, to your point, the USGA is going to launch, I think in January, world rankings of what they call disabled golfers. I know you have different standards of terminology. (laughs) Maybe you can start with that in terms of what you think is right and wrong in terms of how we... Well, my perspective on it, and I can only go from my perspective, is that it's kind of a negative connotation when you say that something is dis, disabled, disorder. To me, that's a label that doesn't appropriately explain the fact that we are all individuals. We all are intelligent. We all have our own unique, special qualities that we bring. And to diss anything, to me, I tend to, it's kind of one of my little pet peeves, not a big one, but it's enough to sometimes spark a conversation on how to change that unbiased consciousness. 
to really try to help change the mindset that I am differently abled. I am not disabled. I am not my lack of limb deficiency. I am an intelligent woman. I am a whole woman. I am a wholehearted person. And that is what I bring out to the world. I just happen to have no fingers on my left hand when I was born. And for me, my neurological wiring is wired to know that I do not have fingers on my left hand. It's not anything dis. You talk about people in the military and people have gone through some very traumatic experiences in their life and they want to label it as post-traumatic stress disorder. Right there, you've already set the person up to think in their terms of their own personal voices on a negative side. So I just try to find a way to be able to help it change to a positive thought process and a positive self-talk. Right. And the irony here is that the term handicap is so prevalent in the game of golf. (laughs) I have a joke about that. I don't keep a handicap. I have one. (laughs) Now there I will say I have a handicap. (laughs) Okay. Spend a couple minutes and give us your backstory. You know, take us up to where you are right now. Well, my life has been quite a challenging journey, I might say. My dad was in the military. I was born in Bath, Maine in 1962. And I was born in a society and generation out of the utmost respects and good intentions that thought of people with different abilities, that thought of people as either they made us feel invisible and misunderstood. Parents and grandparents always taught, hey, don't, out of respect, don't look, don't stare, don't ask questions. And that really made people that have different, unique abilities, it made them misunderstood. So I grew up in that type of a an era. Um, thankfully, our society has come around a little more. We encourage openness and talk. I love when kids come up and ask me, hey, your hand looks like a puppet hand, or you that looks like a cabbage patch doll hand. Or, you know, I like to get that conversation going. But going back to my life, my dad was in the Navy and we moved every couple of years. So that kind of compounded some of the challenges that I found as I was growing. I was always a new kid and I was always a new kid that was different. Once I was able to build a little bit of rapport, I mean, every new kid has to build in their pecking order. So once I was able to finally get a little bit of momentum going, we would up and move again, and then I would have to start all over again. That journey lasted pretty much most of my childhood. It had also, I was tough because I was called names. I was beat up. I was pushed down. I was locked in lockers. I was the last one. God forbid anybody had to get me on their team. You know, you pick that kid, that kid, that kid. Oh, that one's left standing. So now we have to have her. It was quite a challenge. Fast forward, moving into my current life, I met this beautiful man about 33 years ago, and we have been together ever since. We have two beautiful daughters. My youngest is about to be 30, and my oldest will be 33, and we have three grandchildren. Now, my husband was playing an awful lot of golf. I became one of those golfer widows for a little while because I wasn't playing, didn't know that I could play. And about eight years ago, my husband, my husband's friends, my husband's friends' wives, they were, we belonged up at a club and they were playing every weekend. And what they did was they would give me a ring whenever they got around the 15th hole and have me come up and meet them for lunch. They would sit around and talk about their morning round as all golfers do. And I didn't have anything to contribute, but I was thankful that they called me and involved me in the lunch. And then sometimes they would go back out and then I would go back home. And I started feeling like that little girl again. I was being left out. 
I didn't know anything about golf, so I didn't have anything to contribute to the conversations. Many times I would just sit there quietly eating my lunch and that feeling started to happen again. And here I'm thinking, wow, you know, I have raised my daughters. I've cleaned my house. I've learned everything that I had to learn to get through life just as everyone else does. I just learned some things to do in a different way. So why can't I figure out how to play golf? So my husband invited me to keep start hanging out with him at the driving ranges. And every once in a while, we would give a couple of tries and it just it wasn't anything near a golf swing. <laughs> so he had a director, that golf professional that he was working with. And the gentleman that tried to help us figure out how for me to even just hold a club was a little bit baffled. Like he couldn't, he was trying to think of all different ways. And if I were to try to hold the club and put both hands what I have of on the club, my shoulders aren't square. So I would never hit a ball straight. Then we tried to go down the road of maybe we need a prosthetic device to put on my hand. And we just, for you, me to add something to my hand is like you losing something from your hand. It just wasn't working. So we kind of just trial and errored it. And we just came up with a uh, right-handed golf swing. I've had some times where people have said, maybe it'd be easier for me to go left-handed get a better turn, but I swing righty. So basically I'm swinging with my trail arm. So we just kept, pun intended, chipping away at it. And it just, all of a sudden it clicked about five years ago. I started being able to go out and just go maybe play nine holes with my husband. Not that I had to go out and play all the time with him, but at least if we were to go away, we could go out together and go play golf somewhere. He's very patient. He's a good golfer. So it takes sometimes two of my hits to get to his drive. <laughs> so basically, like I said, it just kind of evolved into us self-taught. When I was a young girl, I actually was in the March of Dimes. I was a poster child for the state of Florida. And during that time from 1972 to 1976, I was on a bunch of different photo shoots. And we actually had a national photo shoot. March of Dimes was just coming out of the polio campaign into birth defects. And there was this huge, beautiful man that came to this photo shoot that the national poster child was coming out to get her picture taken with. And I'm sitting on this man's lap. I have no idea who he is. I have no idea what the heck golf is. I knew my dad went and played every once in a while. And that man was Arnold Palmer. So my destiny seemed to have been set up right there without me even knowing it. My journey led me back with the March of Dimes as an adult about six, seven years ago. And through that six, seven years with the March of Dimes as the community director, I ran the, the walk for Hudson County. Hudson County is right at Liberty State Park. Liberty State Park has Liberty National right in its parking lot. The Barclays was in town and they were looking for volunteers. So I volunteered for to Marshall. I call myself a professional shusher because <laughs> I'm out there going, quiet, please, hold, please. So I had my husband actually do a little video of me, of my golf swing. This was probably about six years ago. Well, we actually are, we'll have the bar, uh, actually now Northern Trust back here in, at Liberty this year. So they were doing a volunteer challenge and it was a social vote. The person with the most social votes was the one that got to win $5,000 to the charity of their choice. Well, turns out the charity of my choice was my walk at Liberty State Park. So that's what actually prompted me to really kind of bring this public. 
I figured at the time the ALS bucket challenge was going around, people were dumping a bucket of ice on their head and these things were going viral. So why couldn't a one-handed lady golfer go viral? So that's actually where the personal brand came from, that particular video and that particular initiative to try to just raise money for the March of Dimes. And I was using golf as that thing to bring the attention to my birth defect, which then opened up the conversation for the March of Dimes. So it's life full circle. I'm thinking, wow, this is my journey. This is what I was supposed to be doing. I was meant to do. Arnold Palmer was there to support the March of Dimes. Here I am back with the March of Dimes. And that's my journey. That's why I went through what I went through all my life. Well, last May, my journey changed. I got a phone call from the March of Dimes. They were reorganizing and they laid off 150 positions, not people, meaning that if there is no longer going to be a walk at Liberty State Park, there's no longer need for my position. So I was laid off. And at that moment, I remember being blindsided going, wow, are you serious? Like, do you know who I am? <laughs> I was born into this. This is what my whole life calling was supposed to be. And turns out that a friend of mine said, Jana, you know, maybe you've got something with this, your ability to go out and build rapport and talk to people. I have no problem being the center stage and the media. So I'm used to all of that. And to go out and really be able to help inspire other people that have challenges to say, well, you know what, if she can, maybe I can too. So thus the birth of Adaptive Golfers. Adaptive Golfers started off with me just searching for whatever URLs were available. I wanted it to be what the golfers needed. I don't have a product or a service or instruction or a membership. I'm not selling anything. I want to be able to pass the resources that I have found during my journey on trying to play. I wanted to pass those on to the golfers or the people that may not even be aware that they can and find them their resources. So it started off as a resource hub. I added the 501c3 to add validity to it. And then just the media just kept coming and the opportunities just kept coming. And now I have been able to use the PGA show, thanks to Reed Expo, for giving adaptive golf a platform in the industry. So I'm able to talk to the industry about how they can change their unconscious and sometimes conscious biases against people who have different abilities and how they can actually use this to add another breath of life into the golf industry. There is also a lot of talk that, oh, the golf industry is dying, memberships are nobody signing up, our existing members are passing on, and the kids can't handle the deeds, and they're trying to work, and they don't have time for a five-hour round, and blah, 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 blah. So I kind of started being an advocate, bringing the golfer's perspective into the industry. And again, because I'm not really selling anything, I'm just trying to make that awareness because we have to get through the awareness, then the acknowledgement stage. We're about in the acknowledgement stage, but we still have to go through the approval stage and we still have to go through the acceptance stage. So there's still a lot sure. of work to be done. I want to touch on a number of the things that you just mentioned, but so you, since at least last May, you mentioned, you've been doing this on pretty much on a full-time basis. Now this, you know, traveling all around and all the things you do takes time and, and money. So this is the funding coming out of your pocket or do you have you know, benefactors Not or don- donors? Um, again, I needed to get the exposure. I needed to get the credibility, the validity of what the message is. 
And it's not something where if I were to just come right out and start asking for support before people know what they're supporting, I didn't feel it's appropriate. I didn't go down the crowdfunding and fund me road because I didn't want to devalue when I do have the opportunity and I do have the relationships already built. And I do know the ones that I do want to help represent. It's not that I'm just going to take it from anybody either. If their initiatives are aligning with what I'm trying to accomplish, then I'd be more than happy to be a brand ambassador for someone. But I have not asked yet. And so, yes, thus far (laughs) to our detriment, it has been pretty much self-funded. Okay. Now, you know, looking online, it seems like it's a fairly crowded field in terms of the number of organizations that have similar missions. For example, the USAGA. I guess that's United States Adaptive, Adaptive Golf. Now, they have 34 member firms. Mm-hmm. There's the National Alliance for Accessible Golf, and both the USGA and PGA have, I guess, related programs. So how do you sort that all out? With so many groups, are there issues related to communication or coordination of the cause? Where do you fit in, and you know, what's your view on all the different moving parts? And Well, I fit in kind of perfectly. I am actually on the board of the United States Adaptive Golf Alliance. I am the director of global brand awareness. It is a title that for me is, it's really just me being out there, being me, just having their brand on. I am also- That's a volunteer position. That is a volunteer position. I am also a member and I am also on their disabled golf team. So I'm very familiar with the United States Adaptive Golf Alliance, and they are on a different level than from what I'm speaking from. I'm an addition to that level, I guess you would say. They are really focused in on trying to help bring golf to the Paralympics, and that's a journey that's the the major initiative of that. And by uniting all the different organizations as members, You mentioned that there's uh, 34 members, which is growing. They are a makeup of all different initiatives. And the way that, what I mean by that is there's the the National One-Arm Golfers Association. I, again, am, you know, have rapport with them and, and go out and do some of their events as well. Although I have an arm, this is where I found my challenge. I'm finding where I fit in. There is amazing organizations with very, very strategic initiatives, and they need to be. And then the USAGA is bringing those initiatives under one package. That is what their mission is and their attempt. I'm also on the Speakers Bureau for the National Alliance of Accessible Golf. I talk to the industry about helping to understand how to make their courses more accessible. You know, things like you've got hard course out there with nine or 10 bunkers in front of each green, you're going to eliminate a lot of golfers from coming to your course. And if you're having trouble keeping your course busy enough, then maybe filling in, if you hit them with the maintenance costs, they listen. Saving some of that money on maintenance those bunkers. You don't have to have that many bunkers up there. Each bunker costs $2,500 a year between your employee, your insurance, your maintenance, your materials, your on a yearly basis, that money adds up per bunker. I know there's a, an association of uh, golf course owners, and certainly if you go to their website, you'll see that they, at very least, pay lip service to adaptive golf. Is it a tough sell, though? I mean, it, what percentage of courses do you think are receptive? I to? believe that there is, again, we're in that awareness stage. 
it still isn't approval and it still is an acceptance, but there are a few. And as more and more, and I think with some of the upcoming initiatives with the USGA and with the RA, I think they're going to start listening. We're not there yet. We're still in the infancy stages of this, not a new topic. This has been around. Everybody has always at some point in their life had to adapt their game. So it's not just disabled golf for lack of better terms. It's not just handicap golf. It's not just special needs, special Olympics golf. The idea is to bring the full mindset for this to really become a no-brainer. Nothing you have to think about is that we are all golfers. We just happen to have all these unique needs and unique qualities. And to me, until that mindset happens... And unfortunately, and fortunately, some of these initiatives and some of these specialized organizations, again, they are for the right reasons and the best intent, but they're still promoting exclusivity. So if you don't have, if you're not blind in the National Blind Golfers Association, if you're not blind or visually impaired, then you're really not fitting into that group. So that to me is kind of a little bit of a reverse exclusion. Some of this pushback that I've read about, both from courses and players, is will the paramobile devices damage the greens or will they slow down pace of play? So how do you respond to those? Absolutely opposite. First of all, those different type of mobility carts, paramobile is one. The paragolfer is the one that most people who have mobility challenges seem to question the most because it's new. Solo Rider is a golf cart, just as any other golf cart. It just happens to be designed so that the seats swivel around and you can hit from the golf cart. There's Easy Go. They have them also. There's so many different ones out there. Golf Express has another mobility, Single Rider Golf Cart. These are golf carts. What I think is starting to get the questions arising is these different designed mobility carts or scooters or whatever else you want to call them. I think because they were moving away from the design of the actual golf cart is where I think some of that question is, what is that thing going to do? Most of the time, and in most cases that I know of, those things weigh less than the mowers that go up on your greens. Their Mm -hmm. footprints are low profile and wider wheels not to have so much pounds per square inch in one spot to damage the course. So you're spreading out that weight distribution even more. And through a low profile and a wider profile, it's not really going to be that damaging to your course if they are used appropriately. (laughs) And we all have seen the videos of these wackadoodles out there with golf carts disrespecting the course and disrespecting the cart, just as with anything. I think I saw a video of our beloved president driving a golf cart up on a green. I think it's coming. There's still a lot of work to do. There's going to be an awful long awareness time until we can get to that approval. And then we have from approval, we still have to get to acceptance. I would imagine another area of focus for you is getting PGA pros who are teachers to learn how to teach people with special conditions, special needs. Now you won't say it either, will you? (laughs) 
Well, and I hesitate because I'm like, which word can I say? Which word can I not say? It's all acceptable. (laughs) Is the PGA being aggressive in getting their pros? I run an adaptive golf summit. So here's where I go again, where I'm not just one thing. I have been able to help uh, teaching professionals learn the best practices and things to think about. We're not reteaching the golf swing. They already know how to instruct golf. It's just exposing them to this different population that even though it's not much different, it's just a different thought process. It's a different semantic, just as you were being very uh, courteous and cautious about the way you spoke. You know, we don't want to be working at a hospital that has stroke victims and start calling the golf stroke. But the issue you've alluded to is everyone has very different set of circumstances, so you can't really teach one golf swing. There are people with a whole broad range of conditions, and it requires, I would imagine, a high degree of creativity on behalf, on the part of a PGA pro to come up with a solution that would work for that individual. There's always the science and the math of it. And if you look at an individual and look at them from their abilities out, instead of this is how we teach golf, just as my instructors, when I first encountered them, were all trying to get me to put two hands on the golf. I don't have two hands. My theory is that we're not we, we need to find the abilities of the person that you're teaching. And this should be going for all, not just here's the plane, here's the golf plane swing. You know, it has to do this. It's supposed to come to here. It's supposed to go to there. You have to grip it like this. You know, I think that by looking at the golfer and their abilities and their expectations, because the way you would teach someone that just wants to go out and be happy that they can even get out to the driving range that never thought they could before. It gets them out of the bed, out of the house, out of their head. Or do you want someone who is looking to also move that into leisure game where they want to get out on the course? Because there's some that don't really care to get out on the course. They're still golfers. Or do we want to be competitive? Do we want to send them down that competitive pathway? So first of all, I think abilities and expectations are the first things before you even put somebody's hands on a golf club so that you think you know how you need to address that. And I know most teaching professionals already do do that, but they haven't been exposed to what do I do with somebody who's in a wheelchair? What do I do? What resources are available? What tools? How do I help them be able to move the ball to the best of their potential? So we do that. And actually last year, again, Reed Expo, I keep giving them a plug for PGA show because they have given me an opportunity. I called out to them last year and said, hey, would you guys ever think about putting together like you have a fashion section, you have your equipment section. Would you ever think about putting together an adaptive resource section? And they said, well, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It was just that nobody had ever asked before. So we also asked for an education track. So last year we had teaching professionals come in to one of the classrooms and they did a three-hour workshop. They received their MSR credits and they came out of there with a better understanding of the best practices and what to do and how to accomplish getting a golfer with a different ability to the best of whatever their expectations are. Yeah. Is there a golf course out there that you would plug as example of best practices in terms of accessibility and 
teaching and, you know, the whole package? Are there any courses that you've seen? Not yet. There are some courses that lend themselves better than others for different people with mobility challenges. We have a group of course up here that have seven different golf courses, but it's all inside of a mountain. They're all in the valleys of the mountains. So there's a lot of undulations. It'd be very difficult for anyone with a mobility challenge. So that wouldn't be a place I would recommend. Someone like myself who has no problem with mobility, I'm just hitting balls a different way. That'd be a great course to go to. So it's hard to just say that there's one that has got it all, but we are on a mission to try to start collecting as much data as we possibly can from each of the golf courses. And I believe there's like 13,000 of them in. So it's a long list that we would like to just hear their thoughts. This is a big project that I'm taking on for 2019, but I think it's data that the golf industry and the adaptive and accessible golf industry needs because we don't know what they're thinking until we can introduce what we're thinking. You know, there's got to be maybe an initial effort to be able to gather who has mobility carts, who's marketing themselves as an adaptive course or an accessible course. There's some terminology that is still yet to be defined. I just consider it adaptive because everybody at some point adapts their game. And what I'm doing is for even people with arthritis, age-related challenges, all of this, everybody is just a golfer and we'll just find different resources to get them out there. Let's talk about a, a very big piece of the puzzle. And that is the universe of people with different circumstances, trying to convince them that golf is something viable and something that could be important to their lives. How do you reach them? Are the physical therapists or occupational therapists, is that world cooperative? Do they refer people? What's the connection? They are actually embracing this way faster than the golf industry is. They are using the way that we present ourselves and when I do my summits, we invite the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, because what this is really therapy, using golf as another activity, because golf is an individual activity. Um, you're not throwing a ball. You're not catching a ball. You don't have to have the coordination to do any of those. There's no linebacker that's going to hit you if you have a bad tee shot. And the ball and the hole don't care if you roll it with your nose or even if you get there. Using golf as a therapeutic activity, it helps people... Get out of their head, number one, because you have to take so much focus to hit that silly little white ball. So everything else has to go away. And it is something that everybody sees other people doing, able-bodied, for lack of better terms, doing, and it makes them feel normal. It makes them feel like they're doing something that everybody else is, can do. They're getting around other peers. When we do a, an adaptive clinic, we invite the community into the PGA Tour Superstore here in Paramus, New Jersey, and we do our clinic the last Wednesday of every month. And everyone is welcome, no matter what. So we have uncovered, actually helped empower people to help themselves. We're not helping them. We're empowering them to help themselves, to change their mindsets that they didn't think, how can I hit a golf ball? I'm MS stage five and I'm on a trick tube and a feeding tube and I'm just kind of laying immobile in a chair. I have to have caretakers support me and move my head and push me up. Well, we have discovered that if we find something that someone likes to do, they'll find a reason to move. And the more they move, a good example, I don't know if you've seen the video or not, of there's a gentleman called David Finn who's golf's greatest fanatic. 
golf fanatic to the bones. He's out on the tour. He goes his dad. His parents take him out to all the golf tournaments. The PGA Tour loves him. Everybody knows him. He gets his own parking spot. <laughs> I was hooked up with him through the New Jersey State Golf Association. A gentleman by the name of Mike Moretti said, you know, you should give this guy David a call. He's the golf's greatest fan. Everybody loves David on the tour. And when I called and spoke to his dad, his dad says, I don't think you understand. He can't. And I said, well, you know what? Why don't you just bring him down? He likes to be around golf. We're in a golf store. You're watching people play golf. Bring him down anyways. And I, we had him rolling golf balls before he left there. And he left there a golfer. So there's a video, One-Handed Lady Golfer Meets Golf Fanatic to the Bones. It's out there. I have a YouTube channel, One-Handed Lady Golfer YouTube channel. And, and a lot of my YouTube videos are of our classes and of our success stories. That is just one. You know, we've had many where I find myself hugging and crying <laughs> with, I'm kind of a weeper anyways, but but just that human connection that you make you know, when, when you have a wife call and say, you know what, I'm losing my husband. He's so depressed. He had a stroke. He can't play golf anymore. I found your flyer in the rehab place that we go to. You know, can you help him? Send him down, bring him down to the clinic. Yeah. I don't think that the uh, benefits of the the social you know, aspects of golf get enough, you know, get enough respect because it really, apart from all the physical parts of it, it's a way to socialize. It's a way to, you know, be with other yeah, people. We are not put golf. here to be isolated and depressed. We were not made to be, we're social creatures. If that was the case, there would only been one. But to stop that atom. <laughs> there would be no Eve. <laughs> now, is there any good data on the size of the, you know, how many people, you know, are out there with conditions that are potential, you know, future golfers. The last I've seen is a 2010 census, but I would guess that's sorely it outdated, is, especially given the wars that we've been in over the past decade. Not only decade. the wars, but the traumatic, the catastrophic social things that we've been through, the weather-related catastrophes. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm very, very anxious for that next data set to come out, that next census. But the census is only covering on an overall basis. Clemson University did a study a while back ago out of that. Okay, so the last census in 2010 says there's 57 million disabled individuals in this country. Wow. 57 million just in the U.S. alone. That's not worldwide. Now, that's, is that just physical? That is all whatever classifies. There's like 16 classifications of what is considered disabled. So, you know, these numbers are mind boggling even as old as they are. Out of that, Clemson University, I'm not exactly sure how they came up with the data. I have to actually get some more information from them and updated information. But 35% of those, now that is men, women, children, all different abilities and all different statuses in life, 35% of those would, could, or want to learn to play golf. So even that is still the huge, huge, huge population. So the way that we get out there and reach them, it's already started. Thankfully, you know, the PGA show is a huge platform to talk to the industry. But if we don't have the teaching professionals and the acceptability of the industry, then we can't really bring the golfers. You got a long road yeah, ahead. It is a long road. I mean, you're doing great work. Let, let's talk about you for sure. a minute. So 
How far do you hit the golf ball? <laughs> how far do you drive the ball? Because you've won long drive. You probably outdrive drive me, I'm sure. You would think, but... So what's your longest uh, drive? My longest drive has been about 176. Wow. So it's not a consistent 176. My consistent yeah. drive is somewhere between maybe 130 and 150. Okay. But it's in the fairway. The fairway. Right? I don't lose a lot of balls because <laughs> okay. my eyesight's bad. I don't hit it far enough for me to lose sight of them. And I hit straight. I don't know how to curve or slice or hook or anything like that. Yeah. So while you're looking for your long drive shot out in the woods, <laughs> I just right. have a ball in play. You're in play. And you're if in I play. know I can't make it over the junk or the water, whatever's going on, if I have a bad hole, I just pick up. What adjustments do you need to make? Because you're coming into the ball very differently in terms of balance. You know what? I never really actually thought about it as a different swing. I'm just taking the one hand out. My husband always yells at me, why do you let the club go so far back and you're up at the top of your swing? I wait until I can almost see it out of my peripheral vision. <laughs> then I come back around. And sometimes it's a lot of work. And I'm not consistent. I'm not good. I'm good enough. Like I said, the ball and the hole don't care. You know <laughs> You know what? I'm sorry I asked the question because once you start thinking about your swing, that's, that's the worst thing you can do, Because <laughs> right? it's all downhill yeah. from there. So tell me about your kids. I mean, how have they viewed your journey in your situation? I mean, how has it affected their lives and their personalities? Um, I don't think that sometimes they forget. Even my husband forgets because I just do everything naturally. It's just natural for me. And it's not. And they totally forget about it. I know that I remember my daughter when she was in Catholic school in second grade, I know that I had to be lunch mom. <laughs> Once a month, I had to go be the lunch mom. And I know she got some teasing because of it. I don't think that it was anything that was anywhere near what I went through. But then I also try to always make people comfortable around me too. And half the time, like I said, once we get over the fact that it's a visual, you forget all about it. <laughs> Yeah. I have a couple of questions left. I don't want to keep you here all day, but you know, many of our listeners are business owners or they aspire to start their own business. So, you know, self-motivation, self-esteem, consistent focus really are critical factors when you're, you know, running, doing your own thing. So what inspires you? I mean, what people or tools have you used or do you use to stay motivated and moving forward? Every time I see us find somebody that we can change their mindset, if they are questioning, can I do something when you say, can I, can I, you're in that back part of your brain, that negative part that's going to come back and say, doubt is just going to creep right in. Nope, you can't. You only have one hand. Nope, you can't. You got two total knee replacements. Nope, you can't. You only have one leg. If I can get people to just move it to the front of their head, and this works in everything in life, business, social, everything. If you think of how can I, you've already decided you will. You just have to figure the how part out. And I think that's where my drive comes from is I'm always looking at things. Well, how can I figure that I will figure out a way? It may not be as quick as you would do it, or it may not look the same as you would do it. Sometimes I get very creative. Trust me. I ripped the ligaments in my right hand thumb so I could write a book of life without thumbs as well. You find a way. So just keeping yourself in the forethought of presence of saying, how can I do this? How can I accomplish this? How can I get to do these things that other people are doing? But if you look at me, you would not think I would be able to. It's just getting that mindset there. And as far as business, I just started working with the disabilities 
for business in the workplace group here in New Jersey. I just went to a meeting last Friday, which is where we were going to originally talk. And what it is involving in it is getting the mindset and the unconscious bias of business owners to understand that when you have someone whose skills match the position that happens to have a challenge, that actually is not a factor to rule them out. And I know that everybody says, no, you would never do that. But unconsciously, and sometimes consciously, it happens. We're not the ones that are walking in on the cell phone with the coffee in our hand and taking breaks every five minutes and, you know, taking our job for granted. You know, we're fortunate and happy to have that job. And just because I have a physical challenge does not intellectually make me challenged. Have you thought about writing a book? You mentioned a book earlier. No, no, I was kidding. <laughs> I could write a book. A life well, no, but do you... <laughs> Well, but you probably could probably write a book could. about motivation. <laughs> well, I actually am on uh, working on a, a way for me to how I can figure out a way for me to become one of the motivational speakers to get out on the Speakers Bureau and talk at corporate offices, talk to their enabling abilities groups, and bring the message coming from the person with the disabilities, lack of better terms, message, perspective. <laughs> Shame on you. Well, I have to sometimes because it's kind of, it's what people understand. Otherwise, yeah, then I have to go into the exactly. explanation, which takes away from the original yep. sentence. But anyways, but yep. I would yep. like very much so to be able to, and I think that's why it works with me in this case for the golf industry is because I'm coming from the golfer's perspective. I'm not an able-bodied person up there telling the disabled community what they need. And I see some of these bigger organizations out there that we've touched upon, those committees and those heads of those organizations and the founders of those organizations aren't people with change with different abilities. They think they know or they have witnessed, but they haven't experienced it. And I think that's where having some people that also have challenges on your committees out there people that are living it every single day just happen to want to bring it to the golf course. Well, you're credible not only because you live it, but because you have such a great spirit and a great determination. And I think that's what's a great combination. So last question, what one thing would you want listeners to remember or to do after hearing this podcast? I touched upon it before. Don't ever question, can you? Just figure out how can you? Just if as long as you keep that in your forefront of your head, how can I do something? You've decided you're going to do it. That's the most empowering tool. We're just using golf as a conduit to get to that thought process. And I think that's invaluable in all aspects of life. So for those that think that they cannot get out there, you got to try. It's trial and error. You got to figure it out. That's great, Gianna. This has been really helpful for me, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for a lot of other people to listen to this. So I appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person down in Orlando Oh, in absolutely. I have a press conference on Thursday morning from 1030 to 1130. Uh, they haven't assigned the room yet, but you can watch your uh, schedules for that. So there'll be a press conference there. We have an adaptive golf center. There's a resource center now where we'll have all different athletes from all different abilities out there hitting for three days. We'll have some resources exhibiting around the area. And there's a whisper that we might be out at demo day as well. So uh, just keep watching for it. 
I'll you're find you. I'll for, find if you. you're looking for any further information, um, you can go to my website at adaptivegolfers.org. There's okay. also One Handed Lady Golfer channel on YouTube. Actually, if you just Google One Handed Lady Golfer, I'll come up everywhere. <laughs> And by the way, I'm going to put links to all of these, all of your organizations in the show Great. notes section on the Golfia Great. website. So thanks uh, thank again. Thank you so much. I really, I appreciate, really appreciate this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to GolfYeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com. 